we knew that we won't be able to leave the country. I mean, we know that we have to be here for all our lives. didn't foresee any changes to the regime. It seemed so rock solid. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Zolt Ekos Pal was born in a small town in the Hungarian-speaking part of Romania. For ordinary people, life in Romania in the 1980s was very hard, and it could be even worse if you were part of the Hungarian Zekla minority since the communist government persecuted this Hungarian minority. They even made them change their Hungarian names into Romanian. Zolt's brother was renamed from Istvan to Stefan. However, Zolt was baptised Zolt since there was no Romanian equivalent to it. Zolt describes the shortages, his schooling and many other stories of life during this period. We end the episode with Zolt's plans to escape to Sweden. Don't miss part two. Now, Cold War history is disappearing. However, a simple monthly donation will help to keep this podcast on the air. You'll get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping to preserve Cold War history. Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm very proud to support Cold War Conversations with a small donation each month because Ian's put together such a brilliant range of interviews. If you want high power, there's the son of Nikita Khrushchev, there are cross-border romances, old-fashioned spy stories, and the bizarre world of East European football. If you do support the podcast, your wallet will be a tiny bit lighter, but your brain will be very, very thankful. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you're on Facebook, do join our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations on Facebook. I'm delighted to welcome Zolt Akos Pal to our Cold War conversation. I was born in 1969 in uh, Transylvania. Which is uh, which is a part of today's Romania, in a small town, uh, which in Hungarian is called Kezdivasárhely, in Romanian is called Turgusekuiesk, and it has a German name, a German name as well, uh, um, Neumarkt. Who was in your immediate family? Well, my immediate family was. Uh, my father, my mother, and uh, I had an uh, older brother as well. And what what did your your parents do for employment? Well, my father was a tailor, and my mother was a seamstress. They worked in uh, on the same place, so to say. And uh, my father was uh, her boss. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Is that how they met? Uh, no, it's not how they met. Uh, that's a little bit the longer story because, um, at that time when, um, my father's parents, my grandfather, they were, um, they were classed as, uh, uh, wealthy peasants, uh, wealthy citizens, so-called kulaks. Yeah. And, uh, when 
communism came, they were classed as enemy of, uh, of the regime, basically. Uh, which meant that uh, the, the, the sons and the daughters of these uh, uh, class enemy people, they couldn't attend university, they couldn't get a decent job. Uh, so my father had to leave the, the town where he was born because in the town he couldn't get an employment. So what he did is that he went around in big cities in Transylvania, turning uh, in his um, application for, for, for the jobs. And uh, he got response first time uh, from a, a northern Transylvanian uh, town, Nagyvárod, Grossvartain, Oradea. And then he went there for work. Uh, on the same account, there was uh, as well a famine in, in um, uh, Transylvania. So from many villages in, uh, down in Transylvania, uh, in this Sekler county, um, families were, uh, were forced to, uh, to abandon or to give up their sons and daughters for them to be able to go uh, to the richer places of Transylvania, not to be able to survive. So in this way, my mother was given away to this northern part of Transylvania. And they met there in in Nagyvarod. Right. When when you say given away, you you mean we had some kind of relatives in that other part of of the country, and they they just um, adopted your mother. Ad- adopted more or less, so to say. But not only my mother, but two other uh, sisters of her as well. And in those days, uh, it was very usual that families like had many children. Like my father had nine other sisters and brothers. My mother had 11. So they were big families in that way. And it was hard to feed everybody, certainly when it was a famine. Understood. What, what sort of accommodation were you, were you living in, in, in the town you were in? Yeah, well, we were from part of the, how should I say, the well, well-off people. I mean, both my, since my grandfather was well-off at, at their time off, I mean, uh, what he did is he was a, a buying house for every children he had, uh, for, ex, uh, for example. So we were living in a, a, a two-story houses in, in case the Vashar Hay, uh, we had a car. I mean, we had pretty much the, the possibilities which we were able to get in those times. Were you told to not talk about certain things outside the family group? Well, uh, not really. Not really because uh, one understands it that we shouldn't. I mean, basically by myself or something. It's a, It's a very how should I say, a uh, delicate situation in that way that uh, on the surface, everything was okay. Everything was functioning there. Post offices, cinemas, theater, hospitals, you know, people went to work and everything functioned. But deep down, everybody understood and felt that something is wrong. Something is not normal. Something is uh, out of time in a way. So uh, people were very cautious in in this way, and uh, uh, we didn't really talk about politics uh, openly. 
I mean, we had a lot of jokes about it as well, because one have to cope somehow with, with this uh, absurd situation. It's like, I just tell you a joke about, uh, about this uh, feeling. It's like two people are standing in the bus stop and one is spitting. And the other said to him that you shouldn't po uh, make politics here. Okay, so, yeah. so that kind of feeling that we are not talking about it, but everybody knows what's the situation. You know, we're so uh, intimidated in a way uh, by the whole structure that this self-protection somehow was, was very strong. Because we know what it happened, you know. I mean, you, you had that guy in, in, uh, in Prague, you know, who burned himself. Yeah, Jan Palak. Jan Palak. We had a Jan Palak in, in Transylvania as well in the 60s. But since uh, the, the, uh, but nobody knows about it, so to say, because the, the media and the communication, everything was very, very strictly controlled. And we had certain uh, 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 revolts here and there in, in some fabric here, for some, some, some kind of uh, industry uh, uh, town or here and there. But you couldn't know about it because everything was uh, instantly cut down, so to say. And people were put to jails and so on and so on. So uh, uh, everybody was very self-aware of when talking, what talking, to whom, and so on. Yeah, the security thought that the state, the secret police was very, very effective in that way. And uh, it was a normal thing that the phones were tapped and, and, and even, uh, even uh, in, in uh, certain eminent people's houses, so if, you, if, you were, if you were a writer or a known doctor or, or someone, uh, a known intellectual, they would, uh, they would monitor him very closely, what he's doing, whom he's talking to, uh, whom he's meeting, and so on and so on. So we were very cautious in our everyday being. And I guess an additional complication for you was being part of the Hungarian minority in Romania. Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, because uh, because we were, how should I say, officially treated as a, a second-level citizens or something like that. You know, so it's uh, yeah, it was that. Uh, but on the other hand, since in our hometown when I was growing up, it's a small town about. Uh, 18,000, 20,000 people. I mean, uh, I don't know the official numbers, but I guess there were not more than, let's say, 500 Romanians or so. So the, the city was Hungarian, basically. So I didn't really, uh, on the, if you went out to the streets and so ever, it was just Hungarians all around it. There was no Romanians. Basically, so the Romanians were the, the, the people who were put there to be there, like, like, uh, teachers to the school, schools who were teaching Romanian or for engineers to the, to the new industry, uh, plants and so on and so on. What they did actually to, to turn around the situation is, uh, it was like they were building, uh, uh factories in KSD and, uh, uh, to the factories, they were building a um, housing neighborhood as well. And local people uh, uh, couldn't really work in these factories. Later on, they could. But in the first instance, they were taking over 
Romanian people from Moldova and and uh, Wallachia, the other uh, Romanian. Uh, regions of Romania, real Romanians, so to say, and they were uh, uh, taking over to uh, Transylvania, and they had to work there, and they had to live there. It it was a way to mix people, so to say. So that's how we got our Romanian neighbors and later friends as well, because they came and uh, we became good friends with the Romanians. I mean, basically, on the human to human level, I could speak for myself. I never, ever had a problem with a Romanian person. Yeah, I guess you, you both had the same challenges. And the subject I wanted to get onto was your experience of shortages in Romania. Yeah. Well, uh, in the beginning, we, I, I can't remember any shortages. You know, when I was a kid, that's until like, I don't know, until I got uh, more conscious about these things, until like I was like eight, nine, or ten years old. Uh my shortages <laughs> was that I could see, of course, I, I, I'd like to, I liked football very much, you know, and I, I uh, saw some, uh, some matches and I always liked the German teams and the English team and the Spanish teams and the Italian teams. And, you know, I, I could always see that how nice, uh, big, fancy, colorful pictures uh, they were having out of them. And, and some of my friends at that time, and even me, we could order uh, 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 Kika magazine and all kinds of football uh, football magazines, and they had a very different quality than anything we known in Romania before. So we felt uh, directly this kind of um, <laughs> difference between our lifestyles. And then, of course, after one or two years, uh, all all these all the foreign press, all all foreign things were were prohibited. So that went out. I mean, the culture was 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 getting uh, suffocated in, in in this way more and more. That uh, the the freedom of of uh, being able to know of other countries and to getting information, and uh, little by little, because the whole economy, basically, what we had, it was a uh, falsely generated economy, not not depending on on, on real needs. It uh, started to to. We started to get real shortages, like in in the on, on the primer level, like shortage in food, shortage in 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 in, uh, in energy, and so on. So yes, we had those shortages as well. When we you know we get a ticketing system that everybody was uh, was given a half liter of uh, oil every month, or two hundred grams of um, butter, and so on and so on. Right. So it's rationing. Yeah, this, this, yes, 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 it came more and more. But since this is a, a mostly, how should I say, Transylvania is a very depending on, on agriculture and, and it's not so big industrialized uh, uh, regions and certainly not my hometown. And certainly we had relatives uh, in, in the countryside. And from there we could get supplies of meat and, and basically everything else as well. So yeah, what what you're saying there is sort of like in your in your childhood, Romania didn't appear too bad. But as you became a teenager and getting into the 1980s, um, that's when Ceausescu was trying to pay off all the foreign debt. Uh, yes, 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 of course. Which which then impacted the Romanian economy and co and caused the shortages. 
So were you experiencing power cuts and things like that at the time? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. It was an everyday thing. I mean, uh, for instance, when I was uh, in, in the... Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. In the high school there, was about like 16 years old. Then, uh, for instance, every, every, every evening we had uh, the electricity went off. Like, I don't know, like 7 o'clock and until like uh, 12 o'clock the midnight, you know, we had no electricity during the nights. Uh, I remember that very clearly because until uh, six to seven, we, we went to um, uh, ice skating. And then after it, when, when all the electricity was uh, uh, down, then we, we gathered in local pubs and uh, yeah, had a beer and then <laughs> went home early. <laughs> Yeah. So you knew when the power cuts were going to be, did you? Oh, we knew when the power cuts going to be, and and, uh, and certainly people uh, uh, living in blockhouses uh, were in in much uh, worse situation because uh, it meant that they didn't have any heating on. It meant that they didn't have any hot water. So, uh, uh, like uh, uh, having uh, uh, the bathtub, filling it with hot water, it was an everyday. Uh, thing you know you you had you tapped up the water when it was hot water and uh yeah you used it and and uh, several members of the family was was uh bathing in the same same water because then it was nothing else later on you learn to work around that situation as as best you can but um it, you know every account i've heard has indicated that life in Romania in 1980s for many people was very, uh, very difficult because of those those shortages and and what you've just described. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And these shortages, how how should I say, or these uh, electric cuts and so on. So they were so stupid as well in a way because, for instance, in the local factory they were in uh, in production of something. They cut the electricity, of course. And all that material they had in uh, uh, during in the manufacturing line, they went wrong. Of course, they had to throw it out. Everything, you know. So in, in a way, they of course we were sparing electricity, but on the same way, we were producing a lot of uh, <laughs> unused material. And then, uh, yeah, basically. So it was a stupid, uh, in a way, it was a, a stupid uh, sparing program. It, it, it produced a lot of waste. And what what was your schooling like? What was it like at school? Well, uh, normally, um, 
in the elementary school uh, and later on it was just a normal normal classes we didn't had any differentiations in the classes uh, it was just normal classes until the 8th 8th class and uh, from 8th to the ninth degree when we were stepping over to uh, we called the gymnasium or uh, uh, lyceum the lyceums we need to um, have an entrance test and there you could go to different profiles you could go to uh, natural sciences uh, you could go to uh, uh, more human uh, lines so to say but by the time i i was uh, getting there to make my uh, entrance test i there was no more uh, uh, human lines you mean humanities humanities yes no more no more literature no more uh, languages those those classes was uh, were simply shut down and all what we could have was uh, one class of natural sciences it was called mathematics physics we had uh, one class of uh, electromechanics i think and uh, we had one class of industrial chemistry and we had five or six classes of uh, uh, mining geology or something like that so those were the only ones which you could choose from so to say and then of course uh, the the goal was to get in the best class and then we'll see what's going to happen later <laughs> so i went there to the this mathematics physics class for 3 years uh until 1986 and then in the summer of 1986 i um, basically i jumped the borders to sweden we're we'll come on to that in a in a moment i just want to ask you a little bit more about your 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 school life and 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 life at home was there a lot of propaganda in your teaching? Well, um, uh, yes and no. Yes, because it was it it was compulsory. I mean, everybody, you know, we had the slogans, we had the the Ceausescu's pictures in every classroom. We have mottos of him around, you know, and there was uh, compulsory political classes which you have to attend, and uh, you know, so that that was the compulsory one. On the other hand, you know, our teachers, they were, uh, thank God, they were normal people. So they were, we were living in the, we were sitting in the same boat. So they understood as well. <laughs> and, you know, they were not doing more than they had to do, so to say. And, and of course, they didn't like the regime either. So it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, even those who were politically active because of, of their situation, even though they knew that this is not the right, uh, this is not a normal life. <laughs> if you allow me just one um, thought about this uh, communism and, and maybe to understand it a little bit better, this is how my father told me that uh, when he was a kid, the local people in KSD, they were, um, they were grouped, the, the local industry people, they were grouped into so-called... Um, guilt uh, so everybody the tailor had a guild and the shoe shoe uh, manufacturing people had guild and every profession was was structured into guilds those people who were not good enough to make into these guilds they were 
uh, either were not even taken in or they were expelled later on because either they were not good in their uh, craft or they were not good in, in ethics and so on. So all these people, and being a small town, everybody knew everyone. And when the new regime came, so to say, the communism came, all the uh, who were willing to serve the new system was these so-called expelled people. So from the very beginning, it was doomed to unsuccess, so to say, because uh, they were not trusting each other at all. They knew each other. They knew who was who. And certainly these new guys who became the new party secretaries and officials and everything else, they were very revengeful as well. It was, uh, it was a total failure for the, for the very first moment. And it resulted in, in very many tragic history uh, st stories and, uh, of course, injustice and uh, so on and so on. And later on, when we were kids, you know, the, 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 the normal classes of the town, you know, they were okay, so to say, like our teachers and the normal common people, they were normal people with uh, normal ethics and, you know, uh, sincerity and honesty and so forth. But but the the high level was always very corrupted and uh, and this corruption unfortunately then uh, then went down uh, through the society and and uh, little by little pretty much most of the people were corrupt because that was the only way to let's say buy a liter of milk at the end. Understood. Understood. I'm presuming you were in the Young Pioneers as well. Yes, it was compulsory, of course. I mean, you couldn't be outside. What did that mean, being in the Young Pioneers? What did you have to do? Well, basically, we had some chants to sing and we had some, uh, some meetings we had to attend and, and, and that, but not more, so to say. It was it, it wasn't a very serious movement anyhow. We just it was compulsory. You had to go there and and that's it. So you just did what you had to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was no argument, and everybody was were was in it anyhow. I mean, you couldn't stay outside basically. I mean, you didn't have that choice. That oh, I I I think different of life, so I am not going to be part of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't a question. It wasn't going to be a good move if you went down that route. On the other end, I have to, I, I remember now that uh, we are talking about, we had the, the Pioneer's House, which was kind of like a, 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 a cultural house, a crafts house. And there we had very good um, uh, uh, studying circles. Uh, for instance, we could, we could drive go-karts. You know, we had a teacher and we could, uh, we could uh, fiddle with the mechanics of, of an engine and so forth. So it was quite fun. And we had uh, in, in this, uh, uh, way we could have uh, there were ballet lessons for instance which was uh, which was taught otherwise as a decadent uh, um, western uh, culture movement so we shouldn't have ballet in romania uh, but in the, since it was a, a kids movement and the pioneers house class i mean they could teach ballet in this way and and uh, yeah we had a, a literature circle and we have uh, uh, ship modeling circle and, and different handcrafts and so on. And I personally, I, I was going to, we had a photo circle. So, uh, we were learning how to, how to make photographs, how to develop them, 
we were making small films and so so it was in that way very good as well so, although it was called as well as the pioneers movement and did you take many photos at that time well we did we did we did yes we did we had uh, i remember we had the smena uh, machines which was a russian uh, photo machine which was uh, not bad not bad do you still have some of those or uh, are they lost i still have them somewhere yes i still <laughs> have them somewhere right. now there must be an interesting uh, sort of view into that into that period i guess Yes, it is. It is. It is. And then we have in the city, we had a, a photo club as well. So, and then they were, I mean, the, the cultural life was not bad in that, uh, in that meaning that, that since nobody could travel, everybody was home. <laughs> so all the people were home and, and, uh, you know, creativity is still there. I mean, life is still there, although you're living in a dictatorship. But uh, still, if you have those urges or those uh, wishes to to accomplish something or to do something, we we could have that. We I was playing in a in a in a amateur uh, theater group as well, and there were uh, bands, uh, even rock bands, which played music, and we had photo clubs and all, all kinds of things so so uh culturally it wasn't uh it wasn't a bad situation yeah well that sort of leads on because i was going to ask you what you did in your spare time when you weren't in the young pioneers or at, or at school well um, mostly we were we were playing football uh, that's uh, that what it was i mean we 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 finished uh, class normally at uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon, and then we either stayed on in in the school and played football for another two three hours, or went out to the park and played on, and then certainly went to this uh, this pioneer house, uh, and went to the cinemas, went to the theaters. Uh, no, it did. Um, yeah, of course, of course, uh, the cinemas would not play the the latest movies, and so. But they could play. Uh, they could play Western movies, for instance, or some European movie uh, films. So yeah, we sit. We have seen certain things. Yeah, because I've heard about trading uh, Western movies on VHS cassettes in Romania. Oh yeah, that 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 came later. Yes, that came later when 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 VHS was making its way. And uh, yes, um, uh, funnily enough, I mean they they uh, somehow they uh, didn't prohibit it. I thought it's gonna be a total prohibition of of uh, VHS players, but they did not. And uh, yeah, the problem was that you couldn't buy. A VHS player. There was none in the shops, and you couldn't buy VHS tapes either. So uh, uh, the solution was that there were so-called uh, uh, dollar shops, which were open in big cities only for for the foreigners, okay, to Romania, uh, and they could buy stuff. Because normally a Romanian citizen was not allowed to have uh, 
any valid, uh, uh, any, any money outside the Romanian lake. But these people who came from, from, from abroad, they could buy stuff. And certainly those people as well who were working abroad, like uh, truck drivers or, or, or anybody else who was out working in a, in a different country, they could buy these, uh, these goods and they were taking back. And then of course, little by little, it became available in the black market as well. But officially, in the beginning, you couldn't buy any of these things. I, gu- I guess the VHS films was maybe thought of as a safety valve. Yeah, probably, probably. And you know, since since we had in in in, uh, in the neighboring countries like Hungary, Hungary was was uh, well off compared to to Romania, and Hungary was a bit freer in in many ways. And then, so so people could uh, you know either take officially over and and pay taxes on it or or smuggle over it or come around it in some way you know that I remember one of my my teachers Romanian teacher uh, Noren Mariana had a had a VHS uh, player since his husband was working in Italy at at the time and he brought home a VHS. So in, in uh, my teacher's uh, living room, we were gathering every night, like six to eight people and were watching different films. I, I remember I saw Rambo there first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, okay, I was, what, 16, uh, 16 at the time, but uh, just to, to, to underline that we had so good uh, connection or, or uh, we were in so good not really friendship, but in, in so close proximity to our teachers that they invited us, you know, their students to come over our place and see the movies. Tell me about your brother and his journey. Well, my brother was born in Oradea, in Nagyvarod, in this uh, northern Transylvanian city where my uh, father and my mother met and they uh, wed and they, they were living there for a good couple of years. And my brother was born there. And then in 1968, uh, uh, my father and my mother decided to move back to Kesdi Rasharhei. And uh, so my brother as well, since he was about six, seven years at the time. Uh, and they moved back, but he never really liked this uh, this. Uh, CK region. He was always uh, he were, he he felt that he was he was a part of of Nagyvara rather than that case. Uh, life was a bit rougher in in this secular region. So so basically, he had this uh, uh, this urge to go from KSD from very early on. And uh, when I become so old or mature that I could understand, you know, we're sometimes talking and he said that, man, I, I'm not going to live here. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go from here. Uh, and he, he was not really coping. He was not really coping good with, with, uh, this, uh, dictatorship either. And that, 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 that kind of, uh, society, which was, uh, so he was very determined to go. Basically, that's that's the ground of it. And uh, at that time, I mean, you couldn't really leave officially Romania. I mean, uh, we were 
we didn't have a passport or we couldn't freely travel. Uh, what we could do is every second year, we could stay abroad 30 days if approved. It wasn't sure that it's going to be approved. And uh, staying abroad, it meant the broader socialist countries. It meant Hungary. It meant Czechoslovakia. It meant Poland, uh, Deutsche Democratic Republic, and in some cases, uh, Bulgaria, and sometimes Yugoslavia. But, and sometimes on only on uh, organized tours, you could go to the Soviet Union. And basically, that was it. So the only uh, official way, basically, to, to leave the country uh, was by getting married with a, with a foreign citizen. So that's what happened as well. Uh, there was a, a Hungarian tourist group who, 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 girls, some girls who were hitchhiking through Transylvania, and my brother met one of these girls, and I think they fell in love as well. So it was, uh, so he decided then, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get married and I'm going to go abroad. And this is uh, basically what he did. Of course, many people, uh, it, it, it wasn't a straightforward thing to do it. I mean, uh, it, it, it would take several years. It would take several uh, several uh, uh, rides down to the capital to Bucharest. It would take uh, uh, you know you had to pay off I don't know a lot of uh, officials just to be able to to uh, put forward your application and so on and so forth. So it, it it yeah and you could be you know buzzed by the security police as well that what are uh -huh, you you want to go abroad why do you want to go abroad. It's not good enough for you here, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe you're not going to get abroad and so on and so forth. Blackmailing was from the officials were, were, were very common. But he was perseverant on this and, and uh, he managed to get the, the, the papers, the paperwork in it. So he, he moved over to Hungary. And then uh, from Hungary later on, he moved over to, to Sweden. But uh, it was kind of uh, an example for me because when I saw that he was actually going away and he was uh, successful in his wish to leave, then it kind of set an example for me to as well that it is possible. Because until that, you know, uh, our normal, uh, uh, normal in our normal everyday thinking, we we knew that. We, were, we won't be able to leave the country. I mean, we know that we have to be here for all our lives. Uh, we didn't hear, we didn't see, uh, and we, we certainly didn't foresee any changes to the regime. It seemed so rock solid. Uh, it seemed so secured that uh, we, in our lifetime, we didn't thought it's, uh, it's, it's going to change. Yeah, it must have seemed like it was going to go on forever. Yes, yes, it seemed like that. It seemed like. So, what what do you plan then? Uh, how do you attempt to escape? I really didn't plan that much. 
it, uh, or, or I should I say, I didn't plan at all. Uh, in 86, uh, uh, my brother came home from Budapest and, uh, and uh, we're about to go with him to, to Budapest. And the whole family were, were, were planning this uh, vacation. And I had one more reason to go is that because uh, before it, I had a girlfriend in, in, in Gezdi and they defeated to Sweden two years before it. And now this uh, wonderful person was coming back to Budapest. <laughs> And, uh, and so basically my brother came home, uh, to Kesdi to fetch me, to be able to, to meet her. And we, okay, it was a, it was a lot of, uh, stories and how we managed to get the passports and so on and so on. But we, we finally managed and I went out to Budapest and, and we met and, uh, but even though, you know, it was like, uh, even though it was my first love and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, uh, couldn't, uh, even think about it to, to go out to the West. I mean, how could I, you know, I, I couldn't jump, jump the border just like that. I mean, normally you would be shot even if I, let's say I was jumping the border, but how could I, you know, I didn't know anybody in the Western. So where should I go? How should I survive? And many times, uh, like if you were defeating to, to Yugoslavia, many times they were giving you back. Uh, to the east, and then you ended up in correction centers and so Good couple of friends of mine. So that happened. It sounds like it was difficult to get passports even to go to Hungary. Oh, yes, absolutely. It was difficult. It was uh, very difficult. I mean, it, it took many working hours just to collect the paper. They needed all kinds of 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 paperwork that you couldn't have any debts to anyone you couldn't had any illnesses you could you know i all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of paperwork uh, so it, it wasn't easy to get it mm. to put it together the documentation and then you have to submit it and then you had to go to interviews and then uh, yeah uh, either they approved it or not and then, um, so being there in Budapest, uh, we said goodbye with, uh, with my, with this girl and she went back to Sweden and I remained in, in Hungary. Uh, and I was planning of course to, uh, after the 30 days, go back to, to my hometown. And I still had one year in, in high school and afterwards I, I, uh, wanted to become an actor. Uh, and so that, that those were my goals. So that was the situation. And then uh, at that time as well, my brother left for Sweden as well. Officially, of course, he could go officially from Hungary to Sweden. And he went out to Sweden and I called him on the phone. How, how are you? Journey went good. You're nice. Okay, yeah, yeah everything was good. And then he mentioned that it might be a way for me to follow him. I said, well, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, it might be a way if you, I don't want to tell you to come or whatever. Just think about it. It might be a way. Well, thank you, but I I don't really want to go to the West. I mean, what should I do there? I mean, 
I just didn't see it. It didn't, uh, it, it wasn't in my plans at all. I had, I had work to do back home in, in case, you know, I had one here and then I wanted to, to enter university and uh, be an actor. I mean, how can I be an actor in the West world? I mean, I don't know languages. I know a little English and uh, Romanian and Hungarian, but what can I do with those languages in the West? And so, so I said, yeah, yeah, we were nice. So thank you, but I'm, 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 I'm not interested. And then I put down the phone. And then a couple more days uh, went by and we phoned again and he mentioned it again. That there is. And I still said no, because, I mean, how would I do it? And then one night in Budapest, I, I uh, met a friend of mine from KSD. I didn't know he was there either. And somehow through him, we ended up in a party. And at this party, we had a couple of beers and uh, some wine and so on and so on. And we were, we were afterwards, we were in the city, walking around, talking, and remember sitting on the, on the Danube shore and talking lights. And then uh, I started thinking about going abroad. And uh, I flipped a coin. And I said, well, if it's this side, I'm going to go. If it's the other side, I'm going to stay. There's further information such as photos and videos in our episode notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, this podcast would not exist without our financial supporters, and I want to thank one and all of them for their generous support. If you want to help us, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information. And you can also join our Facebook group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Thanks very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.